Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning, and welcome to church. I am Pastor Mike, and just as friends, uh, this morning, I don't know why, but I've just felt something getting ready for this sermon. Um, The topic we're going to talk about today feels like the now what moment for us as a church. We've been talking about all that Jesus did for us. We've talked about the fact that he sent his spirit to launch this church, and this moment feels really important to me. So even as I prep for it, I can almost feel like this tension inside of me. So I'm praying that God will let me just relax and let it go, and we just have a good time talking today. Uh, But I just want you to know, like as we get to the end of this and we push each other a little bit, I feel the push too. And I want us to really be open to the idea that God has something for this church. I want us to be open to the idea that God has something for you. So if you would, let's pray for a second and let's jump in. God, take your word, drill it down into us, into this church, into each heart. Pray that you speak through me in a way that is clear that you are the one who wants to move your church. So make your word come alive. We ask that in your son's name. Amen. So this morning, even as you were coming here, just like me, I left a neighborhood. I drove past a bunch of homes, people that, you know, I live around a neighborhood. And then this week, I'm going to go to a place where I work. I'm going to go to places where I eat. I'm going to go to places where I play and work out and live life. And the question is, what has God called me to? And what has God called you to in those everyday moments? How are we supposed to live our life based upon all these big things that we've been talking about? And we've been talking about huge things. Like from Good Friday, we talked about the fact that Jesus died on the cross, not just for any reason, but for the biggest reason possible, that he would take the weight of the sin of the world onto his back, mine and yours, and to die in our place. No little thing. In fact, it's the hugest thing that we've ever seen. And then by dying in our place and then raising from the dead, he can offer forgiveness to you and he can offer forgiveness to anyone who calls on his name in faith. Jesus then ascends to the Father. We talked about that, Pastor Josh did. And then last week we talked about the fact that he then sends his Holy Spirit to those who believe. He fills us and directs us. He launches this thing called the church on this worldwide eternal mission. Like the reason why he created everything was that he would fill us, his church, with his spirit to move us forward on this mission, this huge mission, this very personal mission. So today we're not just going to talk about what's the call of the church in general, but we're actually going to drill down a little bit. What's what's the call that he has to you in your life, in that neighborhood you drove out of, in that place where you go to work? in those relationships that you have. What has he called me to? What has he called you to? And I would like to suggest this. Every single day, every day that your head comes off the pillow, every day where that buzzing noise wakes you up, you have an opportunity to live life on mission every single day. And I would also like to suggest that every person that you come in contact with, weekly, monthly, yearly, daily, That is the mission you've been called to. The people are the mission. The people in your life are not a means to something else. It stops right there. You've been called every day to those people. Those people are your mission, the mission. Jesus initiates this conversation about mission in the Great Commission. 
And we're going to talk about a lot of things today, but when it kind of drills down to where I'd like to go, I would suggest this. Loving your neighbor may be as simple as asking a question. Loving your neighbor and being a part of this mission may be as simple as asking a question to start a conversation. Jesus has a conversation with the disciples in the end of the book of Matthew. It's called the Great Commission, the Great Commission. I think so often churches and individuals kind of turn it into the Great Suggestion. It's so easy to take words that are hard and kind of just think to ourselves, he didn't really mean that. If I did that, I'd feel uncomfortable, so I'm sure he didn't expect me to take those words seriously. But Jesus launches his church with this great commission, and he says a couple things right at the beginning. In verse 19, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. From those first couple words, a couple things really stick out. The word go there is a participle, so you could also understand it this way, going as you're going, while you're going, wherever you're going. So wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, make disciples. And make disciples is the command, it's the imperative, it's the thing that we've got to do. Like if you drill down the whole thing to two words, we're here on planet earth to make disciples. When? When you're going, while you're going. So every day we are called to make disciples. While you're going, wherever you go, every day. In terms of making disciples, the passage goes on to explain that for those who don't know Jesus, it's our call to share the gospel with them. And for those who do know Jesus, we teach them more about what Jesus has told us. So every single person either needs to hear the gospel or needs to grow deeper in the gospel. So every day you can be on mission and every person, everyone is a part of that mission. That makes every day pretty precious, doesn't it? So every single day we wake up with purpose. Every single person we meet has been divinely put into our life for an opportunity, for a reason. So today, when we talk about the Great Commission, we're gonna recognize the fact that every Christian is called to it. And every Christian is called to a couple things. They're called to influence where God's put them. They're also called into this interesting tension where we're called to love people in the world, but not to love the world. How do we negotiate that? We're also called to people, to people. Like, again, that's the end. We're not called to people to then step on them then to go somewhere else. We're called to people, and, and that's where we kind of live and make our, make our, where we spend time and where we have our conversations, where we give our love, it's to people. And finally, we're called to action. So first off, we're called to influence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says it this way. Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. Ambassadors. So if there's an ambassador from someplace else who goes to a foreign country, they don't go find like some corner, hide away, and keep to themselves. An ambassador is very intentional about talking about where they're from, what it's like, and they basically are there to motivate people to consider being a part of where they came from. Like there's purpose, there's intentionality. If you're an ambassador, I want you to notice this. It says we are ambassadors. We are. It doesn't say you will be, like when you grow up enough in the faith, then you'll be an ambassador. 
if you know Jesus, you already are an ambassador. It doesn't say you might be an ambassador. You already are an ambassador. So really, the only question is this. What kind of ambassador are you? Are you kind of hiding the fact that you know Jesus? Are you kind of hiding the reality of the kingdom that you represent? Or are you pretty open about it? Are you an ambassador? Are you appealing to people about the beauty of what is to come, the eternal reality that shapes your everyday life? That second part of the verse says, as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making his appeal through us. So if you were here last week, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit descended on the early church and filled them up in a powerful, audible, visible way. And Jesus talked about that moment before it happened. And he talked about the fact that the advocate, the counselor, the comforter was coming. And the word he used there in the Greek was the word parakletos. The parakletos is coming and he will testify to you about me and then he'll use you to testify to others about me. And in this verse, I just couldn't help it. When it says that God is making his appeal through us, it's the verb parakleo. You're given the parakletos so you can spend your entire life living out parakleo. Like the Holy Spirit has filled you to be a dynamic witness. And then God calls you to be that dynamic witness. The Holy Spirit appeals to us that we are then filled to appeal to others. Like the whole thing is connected. It's so fun to see how God puts that together. There's a couple tricky things that we tend to do though. One, in the American church especially, we tend to hire pastors and staff to do the work of mission. Oh, there's more people to reach, we should hire another staff member because it's their job to reach everybody. But that's not at all how the New Testament describes the role of the pastor. It actually says this, the church has been given pastors and evangelists and shepherds and teachers so that they would then equip the church to do the works of service. It's my role to empower and to equip and to inspire you to share the gospel with the people in your life. That's why I'm here. God's called me here for that. Before I was here, I was a personal trainer, full-time, and I loved being able to be in those small relationships, interacting all the time, sharing the gospel. We got to plant a church because we got to see so many people come to know Christ by living life with people that didn't know Jesus. And part of me transitioning from personal training to coming here was me being willing to say, I'm not gonna get as much time with people who don't know the Lord. I'm gonna invest my time into a church, a group of people that love Jesus. So it's not just a couple people sharing the gospel, but there's thousands of people sharing the gospel. So I feel like I'm called to that. And I'm called to equip you and to prepare you. So you don't hire me for me to do it, you hire me to help you do it. And when it comes to being an ambassador, we're called to be an ambassador through our words and through our actions, our words and through our actions. What if we're really good at sharing the gospel and sharing the love of Christ through our words, but not through our actions? How does that feel to the person in that relationship with you? You're a hypocrite if you share the love of Christ with your words, but you don't jump in and actually love them with your deeds and your actions and your time and your resources. So we have to share with both. What if you share with your actions, but not your words? And a lot of us kind of lean that direction. I'll shovel your driveway, I'll make you brownies on a hard day, but I'm too nervous to actually talk to you about the Jesus that I love. 
If we do that, that puts us in a place where we just have a lack of impact because the Bible says this. In Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Actually presenting the gospel with our words is the most loving action you can have because without actually having the words, the person can't make the choice. So you can love them with your actions, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of religions and a lot of people who are very ethical. They might actually love others better than you and I do. So you don't want people to walk away from their time with you and just say, what a good person. You want them to walk away and say, maybe I should consider more the Jesus they claim is so important. Maybe this God thing matters and changes people. So our words and our actions both matter. One of our staff members, who is one of the godliest people I know, she was downtown and she was in a meeting with someone across the table who is a leader in our city who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't claim to know Jesus, doesn't say she wants to know Jesus. But when she was talking to our staff member, she looked at her and said, you know what? I think you're just an ambassador for God in the city. And that felt so good for her because what that meant was is your actions and your words are consistent. You're living a life that reveals you care about God and then your words express your love for God, both to me and to those around her. So it's that beautiful moment where you're actually living it out and people are seeing it, actions and words. Paul takes it a little bit deeper in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He talks about this becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. He words it this way. Paul says to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I became all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Did you catch how many times the word all was in there? Paul's willing to do whatever it takes so that people hear the gospel. He's willing to get uncomfortable. If people have less, Paul's willing to have less. If they're weak, he's willing to be weak. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be in positions to share the gospel. And for some of you, you, you'll nod your heads and you feel good about that and you want to do that. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, I don't think I should be that involved with non-Christians or I shouldn't be that involved with people who believe differently than I do. There's a tension that takes place here. And we see that tension in a couple other verses. 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says this, do not be bound or yoked or deeply connected together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light and darkness? The New Living Translation says it a little bit easier. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? So for some of us, that whole idea of doing all things for the sake of the gospel, this is a line we don't want to cross. A little deeper, Paul says this, and I pulled out the KJV because many of you will remember these words. In chapter 6, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, it says, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate. So within us, there's this tension. How do we do all things and become all things for the opportunity to be with people, to spend time with people while also respecting this. My suggestion to you that this is the tension that God has called us to live in, to love the people in the world 
and to be with the people in the world, but not to love the world. So which is it? How do we do this? Do we become all things to all people or do we pull out and stay away? I would suggest that some people need to hear different verses. If your values are more shaped by the world than by the word, then you need to hear, brother or sister, go ahead and step back a little bit. Pull out of the world a little bit. If your values are the same as the world's values, if you don't have a testimony anymore because your life doesn't look any differently than those who don't know Jesus, then you need to hear those verses as well. Step back out. You're gonna to have to be a little bit more separate because you're losing your distinction. You don't look any different than anyone else. You've, you're losing your love for God, so you have to separate yourself a little bit. But if you've created a Christian bubble for you and your family, and no one ever gets into your bubble, and you never interact with someone who doesn't know the Lord, then you need to hear the other verses. Hey, you need to be an ambassador. You need to be active. You have to initiate. There has to be intentionality in your life. You need to pop your bubble. So there's these two tensions on either side that keeps pushing us towards the middle. I'm not a real good bowler. I don't actually use the bumper pads, but I wouldn't mind. Where you put them down the gutters, it just kind of keeps the ball in the middle. That's kind of what this is doing. If you don't actively have any non-Christian friends in your life, then you're gonna hit a bumper. And the bumper is, hey, you are an ambassador. You are salt and light. God's called you into these relationships and it bumps you back to the middle. So life lands in this tension of living out both. We are to have, we're called to be in the world to influence but we're not called to be influenced by the world. Did you catch that? We're called to influence, but not to be influenced. So in light of that, it doesn't mean that we need to wear overalls. It doesn't mean that women can't wear makeup. It doesn't mean that, we have, that women have to wear skirts down to their ankles. It doesn't mean you have to speak in a 19th century accent. It doesn't mean you have to wear a Christian t-shirt everywhere you go. Like you can be a part of the world, things that aren't moral or immoral, and that's okay. You could choose to send your kids to a Christian school, great. You could choose to send your kids to a public school, also great. The question is, how do you live in the tension? Where you're loving people in the world without becoming just like the world. Another thought for you, and this is something I've watched take place, and it's concerning to me, and I'm sure I've done it as well, but you can't in this process expect Christians in this process, you can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. You can't expect people who don't know the Bible to live life based upon the Bible. You can't expect people who don't know Jesus to live life like they love Jesus. So just don't hold that expectation. So when you're with folks that think differently than you, believe differently than you, aren't where you are, don't hold them to your standards or even the standards that God's put out because they can't live up to those right now. They don't know the Lord. So give them some freedom to kind of work out where they are. When I was a personal trainer back in Louisville, I would consider it almost, and this may sound really weird, and I'll probably get an email. I, um, I almost took it as a compliment when someone would swear in front of me because it meant that they're finally able to relax and be themselves. Until someone can be themselves with you, they're probably not ready to have a spiritual conversation with you. 
I wouldn't suggest that they swear in front of me. They just would swear in front of me. And I was fine with that because it just meant that they can be themselves. And we would jump into conversations that would matter. So there's going to be an ongoing tension between loving the people in the world without loving the world. Ongoing. You're always going to have it. Keep bumping yourself back to the middle. Now, we are also called to people. So there, we're in this tension, but we're called to people. He says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaks, and John read this earlier, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to them, you're going to start by being a witness, an ambassador where you are. Where you are matters. Right now, for you, you are living in your own little Jerusalem. Charleston kind of feels like our Jerusalem, but it's even smaller than that. For you, you have a particular circle of influence. And even as you think through this, I would love for you to literally write down some names. Who is it you spend time with daily? Who do you tend to see weekly? Who do you interact with monthly that doesn't know the Lord? Who are those folks? Think about where you work. Think about where you eat. Think about where you play. Think about where you do life. Right now, there should be names and faces in your head. That is your Jerusalem. God's given that to you for your mission. Your part of this great commission are those people. You don't use those people to get to something else. Those people are your mission. You are called to them. But it's really hard to live life on mission without intentionality. I would love for you to have a list that just kind of sits in your Bible where you're praying for those folks that God has brought into your life. If you don't have any folks in your life that don't know Jesus, it goes back to the tension. It's time to step up being an ambassador. It's time to start a new hobby. It's, a time, it's time to find friends through your friends so that you can have influence in the world that you live. So everything we've been talking about up to this point, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus raising from the dead, Jesus ascending back to the Father, and then sending the Holy Spirit to fill the people who would then launch the church, it kind of comes down to this moment. How will we take a hold of our part of God's mission. He has sent this church to the ends of the earth, just like he sent the original church. We are a part of the same movement. When the Holy Spirit came and filled them, it wasn't for a moment in time, it was for a movement over time, a movement that you are personally a part of. When Jesus talks about the Great Commission, you are an ambassador in that Great Commission. When Jesus talks about the ends of the earth, and he talks about Samaria, Judea, and Jerusalem, you have a Jerusalem. Your unique group of people that you have access to, that you have a relationship with, no one else is going to reach those people for you. That's your mission field. And the question is not, are you an ambassador? The question is, what kind of an ambassador are you? So today, I would love for our church to put a stake in the ground, a flag in the ground, and say, we're going for it. Like, we recognize this moment in time, how crucial it is that we're a part of this huge forever story. And we get to be a part of it. And we go for it. And I want you to put a flag in the ground and say, I'm going for it. With the people in my life, I'm going for it. 
No one else is going to reach the people in your life for you. It's a gift that God's given you. It's an opportunity. So even while I'm up here right now, I want you to realize that when you live life on mission and you see people make that decision for Jesus, grow in Jesus, you will receive incredible joy. You will receive joy. All of heaven celebrates and you receive joy. So even while I'm up here fighting that we'll get on mission, I'm also fighting for your joy. I'm fighting for you to have a life that just feels like it's filled with purpose and meaning. That every day you wake up with excitement and purpose and I can't wait to start my day. Why? Because every day is the day where I live on mission. And everyone I come in contact with is the mission. You could live every day like that. How amazing, how powerful for that kind of purpose to flow in us and through us. And God gives us that opportunity because we've been called to action. So even as we're talking about this, what are some principles and some practical ideas that could help us live this out? First principle, be intentional and live life with others. Be intentional and live life with others. You're not gonna just by accident spend time with people that don't know Jesus if you don't have anyone in your life that doesn't know Jesus. You're gonna have to think through your schedule. You're gonna have to think through how you spend your time. You have to think through your priorities. And then to live life with others means that you're calling them to come to your house. That means your weekends matter. Jen and I, oftentimes, we would swap weekends back and forth, where one weekend we spend with folks that we knew from church, and the following week we spend time with people who we don't know where they are spiritually. So we kind of go back and forth with intentionality. Oftentimes we'll invite friends and people in our neighborhoods that we know don't have family around for the holidays, Easter's, Thanksgiving's, we usually would spend with people who weren't necessarily family because we don't have family in the area and it's an opportunity to live life with others in special moments. I have a friend who I respect a ton. He lives over in Fort Hill and he will walk around and pray for his neighborhood. He will meet the people in his neighborhood. He will remember their names and he has started a Bible study in his neighborhood. He's living life on mission. And when you talk to him about it, he has a huge smile on his face because he's totally filled with joy. Purpose, appreciation, that the Lord gives him the opportunity to be a part of that. So for you, maybe your next step is having a neighborhood cookout and you buy the food. And then encourage your neighbors to have one the next month. Turn your neighborhood into a community where people know each other. Maybe you need to start a hobby to meet some people. Or maybe you already have people in your life and it's just time to spend a little bit more effort with them. Another principle, and this one's going to sound weird. Just start talking and trust the Lord. Just start talking and trust the Lord. I've been involved with different, like, organizations outside of the church, parachurch organizations like Young Life and Crew. I spent a lot of time in seminary and in like probably 12 different churches serving and leading in different capacities. And still, every time I know I'm about to have a spiritual conversation, I still feel sick to my stomach. Like when I just know God's called me to bring up the gospel with someone who doesn't know the Lord, I just get nervous and I feel nauseous. So if you feel that way, you're not alone. And the next time you do it, you're gonna feel that way. And the next time you're gonna do it, you're gonna feel that way. Why? Because it's such a big moment, you get it. And there's this tendency to wonder, are they gonna reject me? Are they gonna reject God? Is this gonna make our relationship awkward? But the principle I want you to grab a hold of is this. 
Just start talking and trust the Lord because he's given you his spirit. And when you're willing to take that first step of obedience and ask a question, so where are you in your spiritual journey? How do you make decisions? How have you decided how you parent? What's important to you? If you talked about the things that are most valuable in your life, what are the things that you value the most? All of those questions just lead into conversations about what matters in people's lives. All of them eventually lead to their perspective on God and spirituality. So just starting the conversation, then God jumps in and he helps out. He is the God of the conversation. He's the God who has authority over this mission that he's given you. So when you open your mouth and just start the conversation, God loves that and God is faithful and God jumps in. I remember back in college, I went to Bowling Green State University. It's in Northwest Ohio, cold part of the world. And uh, there I was trained in how to do door-to-door evangelism in dorms. Again, nauseous all the time. But you knock on a door, you have a survey. So how certain are you that you're going to heaven? Oh, not 100%. Okay. Would you like to know how to know with 100% certainty that you're going to heaven? And if they said yes, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. So we partnered up with the University of Toledo, which was 20 miles north. So our little ministry uh, had been running for a while at Bowling Green. So a lot of us had been trained, but Toledo's ministry was just starting. So they took some of the student leaders from Bowling Green, took them to Toledo, and we paired up. I'm about 5'8". One time a doctor told me I was 5'8 and a half, so I'm just, I kind of hold on to that. But I'm not a big dude. Um, when I was in college, I was probably 20 pounds smaller than this, so just not a real big dude. And they paired me up with a guy where I looked huge compared to him. He was probably this tall, maybe 120 pounds, tiny little fella. So we go, that will make sense why I told you that here in a minute. But then we get like sent into the dorms. I go first, because I'm training him. Knock on the door, have an awkward conversation, doesn't go very well, ask the questions. They have no interest in continuing the conversation. The door is shut, and we go to the next door. I look at him, and I said, okay, your turn. You ready? And he is shaking. He's literally shaking. Like, he's got the little survey, and you can hear the survey going, waka, 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 like the paper does that. Like, he's nervous. And, you know, it's his first time. So he knocks on the door, and the door opens, and there's these two humongous dudes standing in the doorway. No shirt on. Maybe not quite that big, but like there's these big dudes and they're the football team. It's like we just opened the door and there's all the linebackers on the University of Toledo's football team. And for some reason, all their shirts fell off. So, so he looks at them, and, you know, it's intimidating. And he starts reading the questions. And when he gets to the question where it says, would you like to know with 100% certainty how to go to heaven? They said, oh yeah, come on in. And I'm like, what is happening? So like, so they invite us in and we, (laughs) so they invite us in and we're sitting on the couch and they all line up on the bed, like four huge dudes. And they just sit there completely quiet. They turned off the music, they had the television going and they just stare at them. So he just starts, so he hands them all the yellow book, Four Spiritual Laws, and he reads every single word. That's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to like be relational. You're supposed to look at them. You're supposed to talk. You're supposed to have a conversation. He doesn't look up one time and he's quivering, and he's shaking, and he just reads every single word. Like, he'll even read the question, just like it's a statement, and he doesn't wait for a response and goes to the next statement. And he gets to the end, and on the last page, page 13, it just says, would you like to pray this prayer and receive Jesus right now? 
And all of them looked at him and said, yes, we would like to do that right now. And this little fella who broke every single rule on how you're supposed to do stuff, who's quivering and shaking, leads these four giants to Jesus right there. And it was a huge moment for those four guys. It was a huge moment for that little guy. And for me, I just sat there and I'm just like, Lord, you can use anyone you want. It's not with eloquence that God saves people. Paul even talked about that. I'm not showing up because I've got great things to say and I'm an eloquent speaker. It's the power of God that needs to be demonstrated. So in that moment, I saw the power of God demonstrated. He just had to start talking and then God took over. God is the God of hearts. God is the God who makes these things work out and happen just the way it's supposed to. So what if, what if the person sitting in front of you decided they're gonna start living their life with intentionality and living life with others? What if they decided to change their life and they put a flag in the ground? What if the person beside you decided they're just gonna start talking? They're just gonna start letting it rip and see where it goes spiritually. What if they started doing that? What if you were willing to start asking a question in your circle of influence to the people that God has brought into your life? What if you started initiating conversations that went in a spiritual direction? If those folks around you did it and you did it, and this church bought into it, there are over 3,000 people that call Bible Center their home. This city has less than 50,000 people. We're in a valley with less than 180,000 people. What if 3,000 people bought in and said, I'm gonna live life as an ambassador. I recognize the call. And what if 3,000 people woke up every day and said, this is the day I'm gonna live on mission. And everyone I come in contact with is the mission. I'm gonna value them with my time and my words and my energy and my resources. What if that started to happen around here? Would it not change everything? Today is a day where we as a church can put a flag in the ground and say, this is the day. This is when we're going to make that choice. Today's the day where you can do that personally. When Jesus challenged the disciples, he called them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You have a Jerusalem. You have a mission field that you've been called to as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus, filled by the spirit of Jesus, who gives you everything you need to start talking and have those conversations. You are designed by God for this moment in history. Everything around you is ordained, and you are fully prepared to take that step, to open your mouth, to have that conversation, to ask that question. If we started doing that in our own personal circles of influence, we start to reach our Jerusalem. This city, this valley starts to be shaped by Jesus. This is a capital city. If we start living like this, where we start making disciples who make disciples who make disciples, then it puts us in a position to help out other churches. Churches who've just forgotten the engine of the church, the mission of the church, the call to make disciples because they're just trying to survive. It could put us in a position to help them out, to send laborers to them so that they start making disciples. In places where there is no church, what if we, what if we sent some of us and we started something? What if we started making disciples in those parts of our state where there are no churches making disciples? What kind of influence could we have in our state, our Samaria? I think it's huge. If we as a church step forward, 
the reverberations that go forth from that are gigantic. When I moved here, I did research on this state. You know your state. Our state, at all the lists of all the good things, we're typically at the bottom, right? We're typically 50. When there's a list of all the bad things, we tend to hit near the top as West Virginians. It's hard here. If Jesus started to shape the way we thought as a state, and Jesus started to shape the way that we valued one another and our marriages and how we raised our kids and how we dealt with drug addiction and people are hurting and the foster care system. If God started to shape those things through disciples making disciples who make disciples from here out into our state, all those lists start to change. And the nation would look at West Virginia and say, what is going on in that state? And there would be no other explanation besides this. Jesus is changing a state. A church took the mission of Jesus seriously and is changing everything, everything. And then even the United States starts to perk up and say, what's going on? This is a moment. This is a day where things could start to shift in that direction if we take it seriously, if we go for it if we make disciples every day and with everyone. So I'm gonna pray for us, that God would do that in us and through us. And then we're gonna prepare our hearts for communion. We'll remember that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, that this moment, that this mission would take place. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for letting us be a part of your mission. Thank you for putting us on mission. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the dead so that there would be a mission. And the grace that you've given us, may we freely give that grace to others. Jesus, allow us to remember who you are and all that you've done as we celebrate communion. May we remember that your death on the cross was for a purpose and affects every day of our life. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.